I am on a soapbox almost every day, like literally and have been for a couple years now on my soapbox with my megaphone shouting at our customers to start using investor updates and nurturing investor relationships like well in advance of when they want to raise capital. Nathan, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited. I'm really excited to have you. For everyone joining us, Nathan's founder of Founder Suite. Um, really looking forward to diving into a little bit more on kind of what what he's building there and and some of the things he does for the ecosystem as well. Nathan, maybe to just get started, help people understand what Founder Suite does and 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 what part of the market you guys are serving. Yeah. So, Founder Suite is a set of software tools, database, all for raising capital. And we got started going on, I guess, over six years ago now, we launched an investor CRM that was kind of to replace the spreadsheet for tracking a pipeline of investors. That was our flagship product. And then ever since then, we've just been adding one or two products a year. So we added on a pitch deck hosting tool. We added on investor updates. We added on email tools. We've built a, a database of about 200,000 investors. And then, and we have email follow-up tools, document collection, like pitch decks, term sheets. And then most recently we added a virtual data room. So we're kind of building this. If you think about how fundraising happens in the, in the real world, we're building tools for each step of the journey. And, and most of our users are startups, you know, raising seed series A. But in the last 18 months or so, we've actually started to get a bunch of venture firms on there as well, because venture firms also, you know, build a list of investors and run a, a pipeline of LPs instead of, you know, VCs. And so we're actually getting some VCs on the platform as well, which is pretty fun. Super exciting. Uh, give, give people a little bit of sense of the notion of this funding stack, as, as you call it with, with the platform. What are the areas just prone to air for startups? Where, where do they mess up and, and where do they often come to you saying, hey, we just haven't figured this out yet? Like give, give people a little bit of sense of that. Yeah. Oh, I could just go on forever on that topic. Most, I mean, 99% of people who are out there raising money today, this is their first time doing it, right? Mm -hmm. There, There's tons of content out there. There are great podcasts like yours that kind of talk about it and unpack it and all that stuff. But it's still, you know, people are doing this for the first time and it's a pretty important thing they're doing, right? They're raising money for their startup, which they've poured their blood, sweat and tears in. And raising capital is not rocket science. I believe it can be learned by anyone, but there's a lot of ways to do it right, do it wrong. And so when I, when you talk about the funding stack, you know, kind of talk about like, how did people raise capital in the past? They used a bunch of different stuff, maybe spreadsheets and DocSend and, and Google slides and HubSpot and, mm -hmm. you know, PitchBook and Crunchbase and, you know, five or six different tools all for kind of managing all the activities and fundraising. So we're really trying to consolidate that into one platform, build tools that help founders, you know, do it the right way, as I like to say. A lot of ways to do it wrong. We can talk about that at length, but really trying to build tools that help founders do it the right way, get a process running, get that momentum going for their round, and really, you know, helping them kind of nurture relationships for current and future rounds. Yeah. I'd imagine over the last six years, you've watched even just the the act of fundraising change, you know, what what it took to raise a seed round in, you know, call it 2016 versus 2022, like talk about some of the differences you've seen for the founders you've interacted with on the platform and, 
and how the fundraising environment has changed for startups? Yeah, it's interesting. I'd say it's gotten, I'd say it's gotten a little easier, but at the same time, because there's a lot more investors out there, they're easier to find than they used to be. I'll rewind the clock even like 10 years ago where when I was, I didn't mention this, but before starting Founder Suite, I was actually out there helping startups raise capital. That was my job. They'd hire me as like fractional CFO and I'd come in and help them build a target list of investors, put it all in a fancy spreadsheet, which <laughs> kind of led to this idea of our investor CRM. And then I would coach the founders out there as they went and navigated. So contrasted to like 10 years ago, for example, way easier to find investors now. Uh, there are a lot more investors out there. Angel investing as an asset class, I, I guess you could call it, has really exploded, right? You know, kind of everyone's an angel these days. And, and even in the last two or three years, you're seeing a ton of like emerging managers, you know, people raising $20 million fund, first-time managers. And so there's just a ton more investors out there. So that's good. That's one part of the equation. The other one is there's just a lot more startups out there too. So it's still hard to cut through the noise, you know, as I'm sure you get this and almost any active investor has way more startups coming at them, mm -hmm. deals, you know, it's like a fire hose of deals coming at them. So it's still hard to cut through the noise and stand out from other startups. And it's still very much a relationship game for the most part, which is good and bad in, in many ways, right? I guess the other, only other thing I would add there is I think raising capital from angels and VCs has, has somewhat been somewhat consistent, although just more, more everything, more deals, more investors. Some other little twist to it, obviously we've seen the rise of like crowdfunding. We saw SPACs, you know, kind of come and I don't know if people are still doing SPACs. It kind of seems like it came and went. And, you know, we're seeing things like, NFTs and uh, and other kind of non-traditional fundraising to happen too. So that's some newer changes. Yeah, talk talk a little bit about the investor relationship dynamic. You know, it's it's obviously something that you helped teams do in your prior role, but e even with Founder Suite, I mean, a part of your job as a fundraiser is to make the funder's job as easy as possible. You know, whether that's the the ease of getting into my data room, whether that's the ease of me sending you documents on time, like talk about some of the things that you've helped founders do. And for, you know, other folks who are building a company and, and listening to this, you know, some of the things they should think of as best practices for building relationships with potential investors. Yeah, I am on a soapbox almost every day, like literally and have been for a couple of years now on my soapbox with my megaphone shouting at our customers to start using investor updates and nurturing investor relationships like well in advance of when they want to raise capital. You know, product placement plug here, but we have an investor update tool in our in our product suite. And, and that's great once you raise money, it's good to start sending out investor updates to your investors who just wrote you checks, get them activated, all that stuff. But it's also really good to start that process you know, I like to say six months to even 12 months before you plan to raise money, right? Build a list of relevant investors for your type of startup and, and reach out to them with what I call like the permission email, which is simply, hey, Brian, I'm Nathan. I run this startup called Founders. I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. I love what you're, you're all about. I love Black VC and all the stuff you're doing, you know, signal that you actually do know who, who you mm -hmm. are, right? Uh, and, you know, I'm building this startup called Founder Suite. I'm not raising money right now, but I plan to be, you know, later this fall after Labor Day, probably. I would love to keep you updated with our progress. Can I have your permission 
to add you to my monthly update list. It's just a simple, short one-page summary of our progress, you know, and I'd love to give you like early access to what we're working on here, right? So that's the permission email. You can start that, you know, well in advance. And meanwhile, I'm also following you on Twitter and engaging with mm -hmm. you and kind of, you know, you don't know who I am yet, but you're kind of seeing my name pop up here and there, right? If we do have a mutual connection, great. Maybe I'll, I'll lean on that person as well. But starting this process, you know, early where you're starting to get to know who I am, what we're all about, our progress, our traction, you're seeing my company take shape over a period of a few months. And then when I'm actually ready to raise money, I'll drop a little line in my company update. And I'm sending you a regular company update every month with our progress and traction. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe a month prior, I drop a little line in like, hey, we're going to kick off our seed round next month. Let me know if you want early access to our, our pitch materials. And I've yeah. seen startups play, do that playbook and actually get their deals like swooped up by people on that recipient list before it even goes out to market. And then as the fundraiser or as the founder, you don't have to go out, bang on doors for three to six months, you know, yeah. begging for money. You have like your cultivated, nurtured investor list. So yeah. that's something I love to like pound the table to our, our founders. I've seen it work really well. But even if you don't do that exact formula I just described, you know, the general concept of getting to know investors like early and getting, letting them get to know you over a period of time, building some relationships, I think is really the key there. Yeah, so. that's great. I'd say, especially in a world where there's so much more capital than before the, this, this FOMO principle is, is astounding. It's, re <laughs> sure. it's really crazy. Kind of what you can, what you can create momentum wise with a little bit of FOMO. And I, I think you know, you're exactly right. That type of update gives you the opportunity to do just that. And that, that, that's super, super tactical advice. I'm curious, do you, do you think that that also holds on the fund side? So for, you talked about some of the funds that are doing this type of work, like what are, what are some of the best practices you see there? And maybe if there's any nuanced differences between that and, and raising a traditional, you know, seed round for a startup. Yeah, I think it absolutely applies. The The difference there is I would say it takes even longer for like emerging VC managers to cultivate that relationship with LPs. And by LPs, I, I mean, you know, really the your proper pension funds and things like that, right? I mean, that can be a two, you know, I just hear anecdotally, that's a two or three year relationship building exercise before uh, a major LP I'm not talking about high net worth, right? A, a proper yeah. like pension fund or something puts a check into your into your first yeah. time fund, right? So that's the nuance there. Starting that relationship, like even even thing, same thing though. We're not ready for teachers' retirement capital yet, but I'd still like to let you know what we're doing with Fund One. Here's our thesis. You can kind of see our portfolio tape shape over time, mm -hmm. so that when you're on Fund Two or Three and you are ready for TIAA craft, I think that's how to pronounce it. They've yep. they've seen you evolve and they've seen some some great winners in your portfolio and stuff like that. So yeah. So I guess the lesson there is absolutely relationship building process started even earlier. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are, what are some of the mistakes that founders make? Like if you could just point to like one or two things, like, oh, I just if I could tell every founder in America to get rid of these two things because I'm positive they'd have a better experience with fundraising, like like what, what would you point to? Yeah, I I like this question. It's it's actually pretty easy for me to answer because I see it over and over again with, with our users, unfortunately. And I'm always trying to 
you know, educate them. But I'd say the two things are, one is kind of a, a inverse corollary to what I just described in building these relationships is the people who go out and they'll go to our database and they say, hey, I see you have 10,000 investors in SaaS. How do I download that entire list so I can send out a blast? I'm like, you can't, we're not going to let you do that. And that's because that's going to hurt you, not help you in your fundraising efforts, mm -hmm. right? So the mistake there is really not cultivating like a highly qualified curated list of investors. You know, they're, they're, they're spamming people basically who are not the right stage, sector focus, whatever. And, and, and I see that just come back to bouncing. Like we even had a few people like, hey, been using your email tool and I'm getting like blacklisted. And like, well, are you doing, you know, have you spent the time researching these investors and like really qualifying them and like making sure they invest in exactly your type of deal? Like, well, no, not really. Well, that's why you're getting blacklisted. Like, you know, you can't just spray and pray and blast. So yeah. unfortunately somehow that message still hasn't gotten through to everyone that you have to really spend, you know, a little bit of time. And I tell people, look at that list of SaaS investors narrow it down by maybe angel or VC, depending on what stage you're at, and then go through and spend, you know, 10 minutes per investor digging into their portfolio, digging into their, their Twitter streams and all that stuff, really making sure they are a good fit for you. You're going to get a better reception. So anyway, that's one mistake. The other is just about the pitch. And this sounds dumb, but I see so many terrible pitch decks. <laughs> like, I can't believe you're going out to the market to savvy investors with that <laughs> with that like this is horrible this is truly horrible and i get it it's not that easy to create a, an awesome pitch deck i think people get caught in their own head and I've, i know i even struggled building my own pitch deck when we were raising money like it's hard to tell your story sometimes in a really crisp clear way but you've got to either hire a consultant to help you with that or or just keep giving your pitch dozens of times to fellow founders friendly investors stuff like that so you've got it just nailed really crisp a nice story arc that moves me emotionally if you can you know stuff like that right so yeah <laughs> that's great that's great i'm curious if you would point founders to any resources in particular call, call this the you know the the basket of free resources right not not that they should go through yc and give up seven percent of their company but like what are the resources available on the internet that that you just kind of would guide founders to when, again, when they're early in that journey, when they might be making the pitch deck or when they might be doing things for the first time? Yeah, there's, there's so much good content out there, obviously. I would say, you know, a couple of things. Go read some of like Paul Graham's early essays. Yeah. You know, like see, like some of his, some of his early essays, I think are my favorite. And these are probably going on 10 years old now, but they're just amazing. You know, they really crystallize a lot of important things. I would say even, um, you know, there's tons of stuff out there about how to build pitch decks and things like that. That's all great. But I would maybe go watch some like YC demo days to see yeah. how some of them pitch. You'll see how they really have a simple story and crisp, you know, and they get across something exciting in just a couple minutes. So go study that, watch them, watch 50 of them and you'll yeah. find the patterns. You'll kind of tune into the patterns that, you know, top startups have done lots of other resources. I, not to make this, but like we on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn, Nathan Becker, we put out a lot of really good like 
resources for startups. Here's a list of certain investors. Here's mm -hmm. sample term sheets, like just tons of free stuff. About twice a week, we'll post something. I think actually tying this together, I think we recently posted something that was like 700 free resources put together by Founder Institute. Mm -hmm. awesome. And it was a list of all this stuff. So yeah. if you find me, you can find that list and it's like a treasure trove of, of great free resources. Awesome. Cultivated by Founder Institute, yeah. Perfect. I'll also, I'll, I'll shout out your podcast, how there's some, some good stuff on there for folks. If, if you're on that journey, you know, if you're starting to think about raising money or thinking about what, what that process should look like, Nathan's got an incredible podcast and, and his team does a great job of making sure that you feel prepared for that journey. So I want to make sure we, we shout that out as well. Nathan, just curious if you were to step back into the shoes of a founder, you know, let's, let's go kind of industry agnostic right now. So regardless of what you're building, just you know, any, any advice you'd share with them on that journey, you know, the types of things that you wish someone would have told you if you were 23 or 26, starting a company based on, you know, what you've learned from working with so many different founders. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think it's almost in some ways better to not know what you're getting into <laughs> as a founder. Otherwise you probably won't do it and you'll stick with your consulting gig or investment yeah. banking whatever else you're doing it's almost good to be a little bit naive because it's so much harder than than you think it is you read the headlines you 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 read TechCrunch or whatever and you think it's you know just this straight journey up and to the right and it's so much harder to to do everything to build yeah. product to keep customers happy to keep them coming back to not have them churn to fend off competitors to, to raise money, which is a grueling rejection riddled process, right? One of the things I'm always telling founders is typically you're going to get a conversion rate of like 5% of the people you pitch. If you're lucky, you might have them put down a check. That means you're getting rejected 95% of the time, right? When you're fundraising. And like, I don't think founders know that until they get into it and like, holy crap, 95% of the time, yeah. 95 out of 100 people I pitch are going to tell me no or ghost me or whatever. And the rejection is hard not to take personally because this is your baby. So that's not really good advice because it's like, don't, <laughs> don't overthink it. Maybe if you really are passionate about something, I'd say that's the other thing is like, you got to do something you're super passionate about because you're, you're going to hit these roadblocks. You know, if you're not truly excited about what you're building, you're going to give up too easily. That's a mistake I see kind of first-time founders make maybe a little bit is they they quit a little early. I know there's a case to be made for failing fast and then getting on and trying something else. But I think also, you know, I'll just use my own example. Like we, in the early days, we ran out of money a couple of times. We just faced almost impossible odds that should have killed us a few times, but I'm so passionate about what we're building that kept the lights on, kept it going, right? So pick something you're really, really passionate about. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm curious if there's anything about your your kind of personal journey that um, you would embark on folks. So less about the actual startup building side and more just, you know, you've you've spent time in a lot of different ecosystems. You've built a lot of different communities. Like any, any advice on just kind of building your professional journey for folks, regardless of whether that company makes it or doesn't make it? Yeah, I and this is easier said than done, but I think find something like I just said that you really, really love, you know, and that will, they'll help guide your, your, the rest of your journey. I, I do see people sometimes 
going after something like maybe they go to law school because they don't really know what they want to do or you know they go down an investment banking path because that industry seems glamorous and lucrative which which it is but you know i see people lured by sort of false positives i don't know if that's the right phrase but you know lured by other things other than what they truly love to do i think of my dad a little bit who was was a physician a doctor and he knew when he was like 17 he wanted to be a doctor and nothing else matter, right? Like he was very lucky to find his passion early on. And I think if you're starting out, you might have to try a few things, get a couple different internships, test a few different industries to find what it is. But I think that's really key. I think the other thing is, and I probably didn't do enough of this really in my early career journey, but get to know everyone, get out there, get a podcast like you've got, you know, put together a podcast so you can get to know people, put on events, put on little dinners. I mean, it doesn't even matter what it is exactly, whether it's little talks or just get involved, but get to know lots of people because this is going to help you. For example, if you're going to go raise money later for your business and you've got to know lots of people in the ecosystem in your particular Silicon Valley or Chicago or New York, whatever it may be, that's going to help you, right? Or if you want to break into a different career track and you've made some contacts in that, right? So just get out there and and say yes more often in those early days in particular. So, yeah. Love it. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. This was a ton of fun. I really appreciate some of your insights and folks, as, as you mentioned, you know, graciously available via LinkedIn to check out some of the startup ecosystem and resources that he has. And Also, like I said, check out his podcast, How I Raised It. But Nathan, I really appreciate you sharing some of these insights and look forward to continuing to watch the Founder Suite journey. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. You've got an awesome podcast here. I can't wait to see. I'm going to go back and listen to a few. I I was scrolling through it right before. I'm like, he's he's nailed it with some of these. (laughs) I'm actually excited for that. So keep up the good work yourself. Thank you. Appreciate it. Over now. Thank you. Take care. That's it for this episode of The Road Untraveled. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you're interested in learning more, please check us out at theroaduntraveled.io. You can follow me on Twitter at bhalls1, and you can follow The Road Untraveled on Twitter at VC Perspectives. My one ask to you is to share this with someone that you think might enjoy the episode or any of the episodes that we've had. We've really enjoyed building this community and hope to continue building going forward. Hope to see you at the next episode. Thanks for listening.